1: Welcome to The Drill Down, the business stories behind stocks on a move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today is July 26th. This is episode 60. Well, just ahead, the business Lockheed Martin wants to talk about, but can't. Plus, Hasbro's winning bet on digital games. And we're going to talk about the godfather of SPACs with our guest, friend of The Drill Down, Niccolo DiMassi. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one stop equity platform where you can seamlessly
0: connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI powered tools will allow you to work faster and smarter. That's era, A I E R A dot com.
1: And you can listen to the Drill Down on any of your favorite podcast platforms iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, and TuneIn. Isaac, I sat with someone this morning, helped him pull up Google Play on his phone and click that subscribe button. Now he, like you, is going to get every single show.
0: Bless his little heart, and we're glad to have him. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Pod, And connect
1: with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks in the move. And joining me, executive producer Isaac Webster. Welcome back. How are you feeling? Thanks. I feel great. Feel All right. good. All right. The, the Delta variant is leaving your home. It's almost out of my home. Ugh. It's almost there.
0: On Thursday, it should be gone. That's our date. Right. That's right. our date.
1: Well, in the meantime, glad to hear that. Let us yeah. hear the three most important business stories today.
0: You bet. Number one, let's start with Aon and Willis Towers Watson. Now, am I saying that right? Aon? Yeah, sure. Aon. Aon and Willis Towers Watson. They threw in the towel. Well, the what, what, comp- what else would it be? Aon. Aon. A-O-N. Aon. I've never heard someone say it out loud, so I wasn't sure. Aeon? Maybe. Uh, anyway, let's get to the news. Aeon- they were going to be the world's Willis largest House. insurance broker,
1: but no. There you
0: go. But no more. They've abandoned their more than $30 billion tie-up that would have created, as you mentioned, the world's largest insurance broker. The companies deciding it just wasn't worth pursuing the merger in the face of Justice Department opposition. The DOJ filed a lawsuit against the deal last month, and that suit said that the proposed merger between Aon and Willis Towers Watson would lead to higher, would have led to higher prices and reduced innovation for U.S. businesses, employers, and unions that rely on their services.
1: And I guess they might have concurred with that because they weren't going to be able to charge that if they were under DOJ supervision. It just
0: wasn't worth the hassle. Now, number two, uh, sales of new single-family homes in the U.S. tumbling to a 14-month low in June, and sales in May were weaker than initially estimated. And these are the latest signs that expensive lumber and shortages of other building materials are hurting the housing market. Now, this third straight monthly decline in sales Follows news last week that we talked about here on the show that permits for future home building
1: dropped to a nine-month low in June. So a lot of warning signals here. However, as we mentioned last week, lumber prices are now down for the year. Really dramatic slide as of last week, negative for the year. So maybe some of those pressures, well, indeed, one of those pressures has eased. Hopefully, this might be the worst of it.
0: And our third story today, the University of Oklahoma and University of Texas, telling the Big 12 that they will leave the league in the coming years. It may, this may be the most consequential reordering of college sports conferences in about a decade. It opened up the way for the schools to, to move to the Southeastern
1: Conference. So they're going to move from the Big 12 to the SEC. Got it. Huge that's the, deal.
0: That's the plan. And that could that could mean the SEC... Uh, could swell into a 16-team league and sweep up far greater power, um, wealth, and athletic prestige. Oklahoma and Texas said in a joint statement that they would not renew their existing television deals after they expire in 2025.
1: So bye-bye Sooners, bye-bye Longhorns, um, and uh, and the SEC gets uh, bigger and stronger.
0: Corey, what what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Hasbro. Hasbro. Hasbro trades with the ticker H A S shares rose 12% today, and they've risen 44% over the last 12 months. What's new with Hasbro?
1: Yeah. Big day for Hasbro with the release of second quarter earnings. Um, And the chairman uh, came out and the CEO, so I should say on their conference call today and gave all the credit to, you know, one-time sale of the E1 music business was good, but fundamentally it was wizards of the coast. That game, which I never heard about today, and that's what I hoped when I listened to the conference call today. Me neither. Uh, would be uh, would that made their second results fantastic? Revenue was hundred, I said one point three two billion dollars up fifty four percent over last year. Consumer products up thirty three percent, and their digital gaming segment uh, again also that revenue doubling entertainment doubling entertainment for them. are TV shows like Cruel Summer and The Rookie, Peppa Pig. I'm sure that's big in your house. Very big. Very big. PJ Masks. And my favorite, My Little Pony. Entertainment oh, was up 47%. Actually, my kids who are teenagers, and they don't watch My Little Pony, nor do I. But I think the art in My Little Pony is spectacular.
0: Yeah. Oh I yeah, And know. the songs. The songs are great in My Little Pony. And I, I don't
1: even say. get high. And I think the art is great. Imagine if you were a stoner and you got My Little Pony. Oh, I can, uh, that would be really fun, actually. I'm sure that's probably there's a cannabis brand coming someday, maybe from Hasbro. But there what I be. found interesting in the conference call... That idea was free by the way, Hasbro. (laughs) Cannabis and My Little Pony, you're welcome. Sales picked up during COVID for these guys because people were stuck at home. They discovered, shocker, that they liked playing games with people. Here is the CEO, Brian Goldner.
2: You know, what we're we're seeing is that uh, consumers are very engaged in the products and categories that we're offering. We've also gone out, as we always do, and do a lot of uh, proprietary insight work and research around our brands and categories. And we're seeing an increased and sustained level of uh, commitment to our gaming business and game playing. Uh, People are very engaged. I think they have found gaming again for those who uh, had played it more in the past or playing it more now. Uh, Lots of families around the world who hadn't really discovered games, who are discovering games now. So I I don't know that I can comment specifically on family budgets, but what I can say is that people are spending money um, in the consumer product categories that we're offering uh, from Nerf to Play-Doh to PlaySchool to our uh, partner brands in Marvel, Star Wars and Princess, um, and of course several other brands in the portfolio.
1: So interesting that people are playing games when they're at home and that seems to be continuing again some of those numbers really up big over last year's numbers, the pandemic numbers.
0: I just didn't realize that Hasbro was in the gaming business and that's pretty cool. <music> now, Corey, what is your next drill down? Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin, Lockheed shares fell 3% today and they've also fallen 3% in a year. What's What's going on with Lockheed?
1: Again, quarterly earnings number, but a good chance to look at an interesting company, $17 billion in revenue up about 5%. Earnings, uh, $1.8 billion, up 23% over the prior year. Um, so, you know, obviously making making a lot more with only a little bit more in revenues. But uh, their businesses, aeronautics, missiles, and fire control, rotary systems, up about 3 to 5%. Their space business, however, was up 10%. And I was really curious about the space business. After all, they have a, like they have a space business that has real revenues, unlike those attention seekers, you know, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and... You know, Elon Musk's Who? business does, uh, exactly. Did Elon they do Musk's something business, with space? He, oh, uh, space, uh, uh, yes. Elon Musk's space business does, in fact, have some government revenues. We don't know what those are. But Lockheed Martin, um, they raised their expectations of space revenues up to $12.1 billion uh, for 2021. The problem is they can't, you know, they, they can't do like live TV camera launches and right. jump out of rockets wearing a cowboy hat and, the problem is they can't talk about the business because it's classified because a lot of these programs are for military and intelligence customers. Here is the chief financial officer from today, Kenneth Possenride, talking about uh, the things he can't talk about.
2: Yeah, generally speaking, our, our customers frown upon us from talking about the size of classified. But, you know, if you think about it, aeronautics and and space would have the, the largest classified um, uh, business in our portfolio. Uh, third would be missiles and fire control. And then fourth, but last but not least, I, I'll stress is, is RMS. We see a lot of opportunities in space, um, and, and that that uh, has, has not been um, something that's recent, but it, it seems to be trending up uh, in, in an accelerated way.
1: So, if you thought they were just flying to the space station to grow ferns for elementary students, um no, no. In fact, going back in history, the u s. has had space programs, uh, secret classified programs that have become declassified, you know, in the last 20 years. During the Cold War, there was a military space program that had a bigger budget than NASA. I love it, And Lockheed's at the center of all that. Um, maybe. yeah, maybe. can't maybe. tell you.
0: It's classified, That's right. Corey, what's your next
1: drill down? Let's look at MicroStrategy.
0: MicroStrategy trades with the ticker MSTR. Shares rose 26% today, and MicroStrategy shares have gained 480% in a year. Tell me about MicroStrategy
1: now. Well, you know what these guys love? Even more than Jack Dorsey, space. We
3: we love you, Bitcoin. Bitcoin. They
1: love Bitcoin. That was Jack Dorsey. Uh, they aren't the Jack isn't the only one who loves Bitcoin. Uh, Michael Saylor, the CEO of MicroStrategy loves Bitcoin and has bought a lot of Bitcoin for his company. They have moved a lot of treasury assets into Bitcoin. Um, And uh, at the moment we understand they own about 105,085 Bitcoins, which um, they paid about $26,000 for. There was a huge uh, increase or or a sudden spike, I should say, in the value of Bitcoin today. It was up about 8% to about, I think about $36,000. But it was the first up move we've seen in a while, the first lurch up we've seen in a good month. And that led, perhaps, to this big rise in MicroStrategy. They were out uh, even in the last, you know, uh, in June, as I mentioned, buying Bitcoin at $37,617. So with uh, Bitcoin surging again, uh, this is exactly what they need um, uh, because they've put so much money into this thing. But, uh, you know, again, the closing price today of uh, slightly, uh, slightly below what they paid for. Bitcoin in June, but well above um, what they paid um, for it in aggregate. Nonetheless, uh, you won't ever see that show up on their balance sheet because of the accounting for Bitcoin. The FASB and SEC accounting for Bitcoin says you put it on your balance sheet at its cost and you can write it down, but you can't write it up to market value ever only when you sell it and show a gain. So if you're going to speculate on it, that's one thing. If you want to buy it and hold it, that will never increase in your books. It can only decrease. Here is the chief financial officer, Fong Li, uh, talking about this at a recent financial conference. And I played some of this sound, um, I think a few months ago, but I think it still is really important here because the accounting, well, uh, the, the accounting is just not favorable to these companies. This is the accounting. Uh, the accounting is, is not uh, advantageous. Uh,
2: Bitcoin is accounted for, uh, ease and gap precedent as an intangible asset. Uh, But the FASB hasn't taken up Bitcoin specifically and and decided how it should be accounted for. As an intangible asset, what that means is if by nature you want to buy and hold Bitcoin because you think it's a superior store of value, uh, which is what we do, uh, and you're not going to be selling your Bitcoin, you can only write it down in any particular quarter based on the low price of Bitcoin on your primary exchange in that quarter. Um, now, most of our shareholders see through that and realize that the book value of the Bitcoin is not equivalent to the market value of the Bitcoin. But uh, that's because we've been evangelizing and we've been championing this and our shareholders
1: are quite knowledgeable. So again, you won't see it on their balance sheet. You kind of got to do the math to figure out what it's going to be worth. But uh, the, uh, the SEC accounting isn't going to let these guys show off their wizardry at capturing this, uh, the value of this asset. And man, to be sure, they've lost a lot of money. They bought thirteen thousand bitcoins uh, in June that are, are now still a down after this rally a hundred bucks per coin from what they had been uh, back in June. All right, well, coming up next, our guest Nicolo Damasi, the Godfather of Specs. We're going to run through what he's learned now that he's brought four specs into the market, and uh, what those very interesting companies all share in common. But first. The drill down is brought to you by Era. Aira.
0: Era's event access and monitoring intelligence platform improves earnings season and the investor events in between through comprehensive calendar tracking, one-click event access, dynamic monitors, multicasting, and more. Powered by an advanced language processing engine, which consumes some forty thousand investor events annually across ten thousand global equities. Learn more at eraaiera.com, and remember to join the drill down on Twitter and Instagram at drilldownpod, and check out our website bizpod.net. Let us know what stocks we should be drilling down on.
1: All right, welcome back to The Drill Down. We are joined by, uh, if there's ever been a friend of the show, it is this friend of the show, Nicolo DiMassi. A complicated interview because not only is he a friend, uh, he's also an investor in the Business Podcast Network, the parent company of The Drill Down Podcast. Nicolo, glad to have you on. You are the CEO of DMY X now. Right? What's the? You, you've you've brought four companies out now through a, a the SPAC process. So I thought it'd be useful to talk about where we are with in the world of SPACs. But specifically, I want to drill down into your four companies. The most recent I want to spend the most time on. But uh, nice to see you. Nice to hear your voice. Always Welcome a pleasure, Tori. Always going yeah. to be here.
3: I think you are our first repeat guest. There yeah, you go. You it was one of your first first guests and one of your it? first repeats. That first repeat CEO me.
1: guests, at least. Um, so you have brought now four companies public. Now, you and I met when you were the CEO of Glue Mobile, a mobile gaming company uh, that had some, uh, a great deal of success uh, before a recent takeout. Um, but the first company that you brought public through the SPAC process and were what was your role there?
3: Yeah. So look, the overarching theme for DMY technology is that we look for what we call all-weather technology companies. Um, By all-weather, we're looking for businesses that have tremendous secular growth trends. Companies are going to grow regardless of the macroeconomic climate, regardless whether there's a lockdown, regardless of what your view is on inflation. Um, And so that's kind of the hallmark for us on each one of our transactions is that there are businesses with tremendous opportunities to grow irrespective of what anything else happens in the world, uh, even politically, Um, are first transaction was a good example of that it was the leading online casino business in the u.s a company called rush street interactive that is controlled by uh one of illinois's most uh, most famous entrepreneurs neil bloom who uh is is big in the real estate space owns the four seasons and the Ritz, i think in chicago and also owns a lot of commercial uh, commercial estate and a number of physical casinos he uh he started about 10 years ago uh, rush street interactive which was uh is digital interactive uh, casino play, and uh, an RSI as we uh, as we abbreviate it, and that is actually the ticker today post close, uh, has really done a tremendous job of capitalizing on the legislation that passed, you know, in the sports betting space, state by state, and in the uh, online gaming space, state by state. So to give you an example of the growth at RSI, uh, I think this company did something like sixty million dollars of revenue the year before our, our merger was announced. I think last year it was, you know, not this exactly right but almost right, something like 275 285 and I think this year the guidance is, you know, somewhere in the high 400s. So it's uh it's an amazing growth trajectory for a company that's uh, only started producing revenue a few years ago. And, and, and they full disclosure
1: I, I I did help you guys a little bit with that deal long before we started the business podcast network but That's true. Just full that's disclosure I'm involved with that shares. as well. Yeah, um, it's a small yes. world
3: here. <laughs> team, um, we're a good team. Um,
1: the stock price has not been reflective of that growth, which is odd. I don't. I'm not a big believer that stock prices tell you uh, everything. You know, it's a voting machine, not a weighing machine. At least not in the in the short term. It's a yeah. You machine. know, it
3: was reflecting it. I think properly around the time the deal closed. So instead sort of January, the stock was probably twenty or twenty five dollars. Um, right. It is not there right now. But you know, let's see what continued. You know, delivery of numbers. Hopefully. Uh, Will do for the business. Um, it seems to me
1: the key with that company ultimately is going to be the success of the online gambling uh, in the states where they've got casinos and they're licensed to do that.
3: I, I think they're actually going to be a national player. Um, I think they they are powerful enough to achieve that. They are, you know, they are only about you know sort of 40 percent uh, smaller than you know DraftKings in aggregate. But on the casino side, they're probably bigger. We're just a lot smaller on the sportsbook side. So let's, let's see what happens. They have yet to start spending any real money. Uh, they've got, you know, whatever, $300, dollars in the bank, something like that. Um, and I think it's safe to say that uh, Neil Bloom's been a shrewd operator for literally, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, and I think it's also safe to say that uh, he has every intention of making the most out of this unique asset uh, that he controls. So he he's hard at work. Uh, let's see what he does, you know, on the August earnings call, the November earnings call. I think there are uh, positive things in this company's future, given the tremendous secular tailwind of almost every state that will ultimately legalize gambling has not done so yet. So this is a yeah, business and, that, you know, is is doing half the windows of revenue and like most have not legalized yet. That's pretty exciting, no matter how you look and, at and it. And I
1: think this, the, the, the social, I don't know, residue on gambling is kind of lost now in this country mostly. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. the circles I travel in. And then further, um, it seems to me that the pandemic's uh, strain on the resources of governments is going to want them to may open them up to new sources of revenue, new sources of taxation. And casino gambling, yeah. obviously, is is a big one.
3: Spot on. Those, those, those are exactly why this is not an, an all-weather company. I think it's going to grow regar- regardless of what happens in the macro uh, climate, other than, of course, legalization, which is a state-by-state gift at this point. But uh, very bullish on where this business – look. All of our companies, you know, Corey, we're very bullish on where they're going to be three, five, seven, you know, 10 years out. Um, you know, passing the Warren Buffett test is important to uh, to us always. Like if you close your eyes and come back, you know, how much bigger will the business be? If you can only take so many shots with your magic silver investment bullets, you've got to make sure you use these shots on businesses you're prepared to own, you know, perpetually.
1: Well, okay, um, so let's move on because I do want to save time for the last yep. one, but I want to get through all four. And it's it's rare that we get into, what. but let me f- finish with the first question I asked, which is, what was your role pre, you know, during the SPAC and what is your role ongoing? Because you're essentially the CEO or, or yep. slash lead banker trying to find the company to put into the SPAC mm-hmm. shell. What's your role afterwards?
3: Yeah. yeah, so we stay on the board. So I'm on the board of Rockstreet Interactive, our first one. Um, I'll be on the board of the third one when it closes. I'll come on to that in a second. The second one, um, actually, this might be a good segue, Corey, is, uh, is Genius Sports, which I'm also on the board of. Um, and, and so, yes, I was the CEO of the SPAC before the transaction closes. Then, you know, myself and my partner often stay on um, as, as, you know, independent directors uh, of the combined business. Um, so the second SPAC was, uh, is now closed. It trades under GNI, uh, RSI, or Rush to Trades Under RSI as a ticker. Genius Sports was, uh, was controlled by Apex, a firm in the UK. Um, they are the leading um, sports book data company. So on a global basis, if you are a DraftKings or a FanDuel or a Rush Street or a MGM or, you know, Caesars or whatever, everyone's paying genius for their data because without them, you can't make up the lines in a sports book. So that's
1: so so super interesting. So the Nevada law used to be that every casino had to, you couldn't have a networked book, that you would get different odds in different casinos at different times at the same moment of any given day mm -hmm. because – they wanted to make sure the business wasn't controlled uh, and the, and the and corruption didn't ensue in, into the sports themselves, which has happened historically, although we don't know of that happening recently.
3: Well, that's, but that's casino, I think you're talking about, right? For sports right. betting, like, you know, people are all betting on the same event and they all want to feel like they're seeing. I mean, so if you're, if you're DraftKings or FanDuel or Rush Street Interactive, you're providing a consumer brand and portal where people are all wagering on the same game, the same event. So there's kind of global liquidity, actually. But the um, but the so,
1: the different pricing from um, venue to venue uh, is does not the case when Genius Sports is involved, right? They're, they're essentially sharing the line.
3: Uh, no, that people can make different odds if they want. We provide the data, so we tell you this event has happened. This is what the official score is. This is how many passes there have been. We can give customers recommendations on how they want to lay out their odds, but every operator has their own brand and their own competitive, you know, approach. Um, and different life cycling of customers and different demographics of customers. So that's that's how they compete, right? As they take, you know, Genius is a SaaS business. It's a global diversified SaaS business where we're the exclusive data provider for the wagering industry for both NFL, which is a deal we did after the deal, uh, transaction closed with the uh, DMYD, our seconds back. Uh, we're also exclusive with the English Premier League, EPL. So NFL and EPL, you know, are are sort of- uh, Arguably the two biggest homes leagues in the world. Are, they are they're the two biggest betting leagues. For sure. Um, EPL is actually the largest. Uh, if you look at total wagers that are placed, uh, it's actually greater than the NFL because there's a lot more games every year. Um, then, but obviously, uh, NFL is a big deal in the U.S.
1: <laughs> and how do they How do they get paid? Well, for now, maybe. Um, uh, so now I don't mean to speak sacrilege to football fans, but the other yeah. footballs, pretty big, Premier League is pretty big deal. Um, how do these guys get paid? They did $168 million in revenue last year. What? What's the basis upon which they are paid?
3: It's a, it's a SaaS contract, which has a, you know, has a mixture of flat and a mixture of revenue share.
1: So the more gamblers um, online that, uh, on these, uh, they're, they're sort of down customers. There were people yes, online that are using yes. a, you know, yeah. the pl- platform where NFL is, yeah. Yeah,
3: we're a SaaS grower. I mean, if you, you know, we, we laid out in our original pipe deck, you know, late last year that this is this is sort of a, whatever, 30%, you know, subscription business grower type, uh, type play. type line and, growth yeah, and and I think we're doing much better than that, obviously, since we you know won the NFL deal. Um, but you know I also don't want to speak ahead of the earnings call that they're gonna have in early September. Um, so you know, I, I think both these businesses have done very well in the last year, 18 months. We're very proud of them. Um, they checked the all weather bucket for us. Um, and I think it's safe to say that uh, great things I think are in store in the coming you know months, quarters, years from both as legalization continues and and genius just to sort of round that one out it's a global business right so most of the revenue was coming not from the US when we met them uh, and to this you know hour i'm not sure what the split is but it's safe to say that US is just getting going relative to Europe and Asia and everyone has to pay genius if you want to bet on their 225,000 events or so every year because oh. a lot um thirds back am Q. so this, this is, is uh company. For me, as, for me as happens, a long-term
1: yeah. tech investor investor, long-term tech journalist in particular, this is so interesting to me because this is finally a pure play on quantum computing.
3: Exactly. So I'm a physicist originally, as you as you may or may not remember. Um, I've been following the space. You might laugh for almost 25 years, um, and the reason I followed that long is you know I studied in graduate school at you know Cambridge University in the UK, and then a lot of my friends stayed in the field, believe it or not. So I have a bunch of friends who are in academia. Uh, mostly in the UK in quantum computing, um, fairly distinguished fellows in some cases. But, you know, I, I've, I initially won all of my bets, Corey, against my friends about the commercialization of quantum computing. If because you think We back, still don't have any
1: commercialization. We really don't have any quantum computers, right?
3: That, that, no. Well, let me come to that. So I so said between 2000, 2010, that was a true statement. They were moving pretty slowly. 2010 to 2015, uh, there was some decent signs of life and sort of, you know, some some venture-backing corporations, including INQ that's, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years old. Um, a lot has happened in the past five years. So there have been, you know, 85-plus venture-backed companies, a couple billion dollars flowed into the space around 2015. Um, and INQ has really come to the forefront because they're, they're building on almost 25 years of work. Dr. Chris Monroe's uh, fellow I used to study, uh, you know, 25 years ago, and he was the first Person to empirically demonstrate uh, in the '90s that a a Dr. Feynman's theoretical postulation of quantum computers could turn into something that is you know empirically real, and so he and Jung Sung Kim, the other co-founder of INQ, have been plugging away at this with government grants for you know 20 years. Then they worked with NEA, um, Google Ventures, uh, fine folks such as that, you know, to get INQ commercially uh, grounded. Um, you know, about, about six seven years ago, and when we met the company, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. We realized after we read the BCG uh, landscape report in 2017, this was a space that we should be probably paying more attention to. And it's safe to say in 2019, uh, the updated BCG report, uh, you know, sort of validated the fact that, you know, people had begun in the last three years to really, really finally deliver on some of the promises of the past decade or two, largely due to a mixture of money competition and outright, you know, I'd say maturation of some of the engineering practices required. Um, Where INQ is today is, uh, believe it or not, Corey, uh, all three of the cloud providers that matter, Google, Amazon, and Microsoft use, uh, or or rather you can access our quantum hardware through the Google, Microsoft, um, and Amazon clouds. So it is very real and very commercially here. The 11 qubit system is what you can access. Uh, INQ, I believe is providing early access to some special customers to their 32 qubit system. Which they announced, uh, you know, nine months ago was going to be the world's most powerful by a long margin. That is all true, um, and I think this transaction, you know, we hope is going to close in the third quarter. Uh, in terms of DMYI going away as the ticker and IONQ, INQ becoming the new ticker, and then they'll have their first earnings call, you know, probably in November um, for Q3. Uh, and I expect equally amazing things out of this business as my first two SPACs because. Quantum computing, I think, Corey is going to be the number one, most impactful scientific and technological trend. I think of the twenty-first century. Um, Hundred percent.
1: the things that give me an example. Something that could happen with a quantum computer that can't happen now, or the comparison. Oh, I well, mean,
3: vastly complex problems that are not soluble uh, using all the world's fastest traditional supercomputers in all the time that you know you, you, the Earth has been around, as in billions of years, can be solved in minutes by quantum computers, and it's things like solving the traveling salesperson problem. So if you're UPS, FedEx, Amazon, Microsoft, you gotta deliver 100,000 packages, you know, whatever it is an hour, how do you route the delivery people? That is a problem that probably you could save a million dollars a day on for these companies if you could route them efficiently. And these companies all know that. And you, it takes you a year to solve that for one day using the world's most powerful, you know, classical computers. Quantum computers can do that in like 30 minutes type thing. So once they get to a, th- once they get to a thousand algorithmic qubits, and I wanna be clear, We're not at a thousand, we're at 32, but if we can double it, you know, every year, it's not gonna be that many years. We can solve things like that. The other big one that's around the corner towards the end of this decade, um, is of course, you know, Shor's algorithm gives you the power to crack RSA and online encryption, which is a different challenge for online banking, for Bitcoin. I mean, you know, (laughs) as the joke goes, Corey, if if you lose your key and you have some stranded Bitcoin, just you know, don't give up hope. In 2028 or whatever it is, 2029, you know, we will we will crack that and hand it back to you. And so, uh, anyone who's long on crypto should think about this because yeah, except I think, that all uh, the rest of the
1: crypto will become valueless because the security doesn't work anymore with quantum computing.
3: Exactly, that's another bet. But it, it will it will not be what it was, right? And so this this race between code makers and code breakers will really heat up. You know, the battlefield of the future, photovoltaics of the future, aerodynamics and aerospace of the future. All the companies that are investors in INQ. Lockheed Martin, Samsung, Bill Gates, breakthrough energy ventures, you know, SoftBank, you know, know, who's not in this Google ventures, Uh, Amazon's an investor as well. So uh, everyone who kind of matter, Michael Dell, you know, MSD Capital, anyone who's anyone is an investor in this business. And uh, I'd say just working through the customer base we have in the shareholder register, you know, means the company has a really, really bright future. So I'm very excited about where that one will be three, five, seven years. uh, Also on the board of that one. And that brings me in the last few minutes here to our fourth one, which is Planet Labs. Um, yeah, Pla- you know, Planet is uh, ticker DMYQ. We just announced the deal a few weeks ago, so we're at the start of the uh, of the kind of close process here. It will have its analyst day uh, sometime in August, I expect, after we file the S four proxy with kind of all the gory details in the business. Planet, you know, honestly, Corey, it's like uh, it's like the best of SPAC two and SPAC three combined. So it is a global subscription data company like Genius, but it's also a cutting edge engineering business like INQ. Um, And so what planet.com, which is the website planet um, actually does is it scans the entire earth. It has 200 satellites. It is the only data company in the world with proprietary data that effectively provides like the Bloomberg terminal of earth data to its subscription customers. So you can see the entire earth mapped every day. You can zoom in. If you want to, if you want to task certain satellites, you can revisit, you know, the same zip code, the same area, the same house, up to a dozen times a day, and even record video. this is video. stitching
1: together the imagery from lots of different satellites, and no one's really done that, but except for no this one's company. done that. and
3: They've been doing it for eight, nine years, and so yeah, what I people, think I had
1: them on my Bloomberg TV show long ago.
3: I think um, no doubt about it because it's an amazing achievement, Corey. So this company has only spent four hundred million dollars in ten years. To build a satellite fleet of 200, get to get to nine figures of revenue. You know, there are 100, 130 million of revenue. Uh, you know, this year, um, everybody else in space, you know, leaving aside the government and their government's own satellites, who are really only able to zoom. They're not able to do the planet, so to speak. Um, everybody else, you know, has spends more than we do on just like one satellite, typically, right? So right. there are companies like Maxar that spend 800 million million on one satellite, and we've got 200 up for, you know, less than $4 the, million in part, 10 because years. Because of these operate. are tiny
1: satellites, right?
3: Well, it's because Will Marshall, the founder, and 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 Robbie Shingler, his co-founder, um, they set out ten years ago, as as you know, Tim Draper tweeted when we announced um, to to turn satellites into mobile phones. How do you put them on Moore's law? How do you put satellites into the consumer electronics business, right? And, and they so, were working
1: essentially. I know it's a, it's a it's a almost a joke in Silicon Valley, but they were literally working out of a garage in San, San Francisco. They, they
3: started in the garage. You can see our the video on our on our website, dmytechonlysio.com, or on planet.com. Um, They still, by the way, manufacture all the satellites and do all their R&D in-house. So in San Francisco, they have a few floors. It's all you know under tight security for a lot of reasons, but uh, ultimately, they're vertically integrated. And so what's super cool about this company is they remind me a lot of Apple, honestly. Um, if you think about the approach of Apple, it's like, if you're serious about software, you have to build your own hardware. And that's effectively what Planet has done. They've built their own hardware. Then they build a software company on top of it. All the revenue... Is a subscription software business, but the data is captured proprietarily, and then they can sell the data to the same people and to anyone who wants it—corporate, government, over and over and over, right? So, if you need to find, you know, your enemy's fleet, <laughs> you know, you you need Planet. If you want to know what's going on in your country in terms of mass migrations, natural disasters, you need Planet. If you want to enforce, you know, various rules, if you're an agricultural company and you want to optimize, you know, how how you're actually treating and growing. You need planet. And so
1: I'll give you an example. So when I was a hedge fund manager and I was short, this oil company that supposedly had this amazing well that they were drilling and they would give out these regular updates on how deep they had drilled the well. And boy, every extra a thousand feet they drill was even more amazing. They still yet to find any oil. Right. So I hired a satellite company to fly over this, this single well site in Papua New Guinea and I would compare the pictures see how much pipe was sitting on the sideline to see if right. they actually were going through that pipe yep. and we're making any actual actual progress. And then, sure enough, the press releases claimed a lot of progress, but the same amount of pipe was sitting on the <laughs> next to the rig, uh, well, week after day after day and week I, after week. I assume
3: you made money in that short position then, Corey. That's all okay. I can say. I would
1: <laughs> We did okay on that one.
3: I, I would hope so. Yeah. So look, every commodity trade in the world is gonna use this. Um, I think the cool thing about Planet is because they built the hardware. And now they own the software, and the machine learning on top of it, and they've got almost ten years of data. They've got this endless data advantage and, and endless algorithmic advantage, and, and because no one else captures twenty-five terabytes of data a day and has the historic repository, so they know where the world's been. You can kind of look at where it's going. You can think about the eggs you're going to have as a commodity trader. Or everybody else, if you can kind of keep track on this on a global basis, you know where are the oil tankers sitting? Planet's the company. To be fair, Corey, that when you read the news. We've discovered more bunkers in Western Mongolia and China or, you know, there's a tanker stuck on the, the canal. Like right, we're, the we're the one that produces that, right? Because no yeah. one else actually scans large amounts of territory, right? Everyone else, if they want, like they can task on the Abbottabad compound. You know, once you know where Bin Laden is, you can kind of look at the compound. But if you don't know where he is, <laughs> we're the only game in town and no one else is going to, you know, I, I think Planet, you know, Corey, I think Planet has the largest technological lead I've seen in my career. Um, most businesses, even Steve Jobs, you'll remember, was very honest when he said, I, I think the iPhone is two years ahead of you know, Nokia, BlackBerry when he announced it. And they built, you know, $2 trillion of value off that planet is probably five to seven years ahead of anybody else in what they're doing. And half their revenue is commercial, right? So the government's already kind of a minority of it. And we expect that almost all of the growth is, not almost all, most of the growth in, in absolute dollar terms will come from pretty much every Fortune 500 company is going to subscribe. What Whether they used tracking- to
1: say also was, was that they had a, a sort of a search engine that was actually usable, that one of their real advantages, they thought, was that you could actually, it wasn't that yes. you could look, you could get lots of data, you could actually use the data figure out yep. where, what you were looking for and where you could
3: find it. No, that's right. So they just hired Kevin Wheel from Instagram, his VP of Product there. He was previously the VP of Product at, at Twitter. So Kevin's a, he Kevin's the president of Product now at uh, Planet, and that's a, a great hire and really tells you where the company's going, right? So this is a man who, you know, was there early for Google AdWords, who was there early. They're trying to figure out how to turn Twitter into a business that was more than the firehose they used to sell just right. to Google. How do you productize and make it, you know, useful to everybody? And, and he's doing the same thing with Instagram, right? So Planet, we I think well, I think Planet will end up having a consumer, you know, outright consumer business someday. But in the meantime, they're building all the tools, kind of like Bloomberg has, you know, your, your former alma mater for like, how do you take the price point down from eight figures to seven figures to six figures to five figures? so that small businesses can all subscribe cuz every 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 commodity trader in the world what's the bloomberg terminal cost these days 1000 bucks a month 2000 bucks a month oh yeah at
1: least 2000
3: right so i think planet will be cheaper than that right and if you're a commodity trader even if you, even if you just you know are a home commodity trader 1000 bucks a month right for this view of the earth is going to give you an, an you know a very meaningful edge right so i think we're going to sell a lot of subscriptions to our data to financial services to logistics uh, and of course, agriculture is already a big customer. Governments already a big customer. Um, and so space really exciting is in category
1: right now. This would fall into your space category, but it's actually got a business model behind it.
3: Well, that's right. We're the. I mean, I used to say, Corey, we're the only space company with revenue. I mean, I, I love Richard Branson, <laughs> right. big fan. But like, you know, where's where's the revenue, dude? It's like our, our business has nine figures of revenue. I mean, every everyone else that we compete with in space are generally assembling rockets, right? Which is going to get commoditized or they're dreaming and have zero revenue or seven figures of revenue or have like one or two satellites. We have 200 satellites and over a hundred million of revenue. Competitors have two satellites and like two million of revenue, right? So it's a, it's a, you know, 800 pound gorilla story, Corey, where I expect planet will be the natural consolidator of the space. They will suck all the oxygen out of the category because as you've seen the last decade, big tech gets bigger. They have vast network effects. And the bigger guys are actually growing faster and faster as they as they drive this virtual flywheel, right, between data, yeah. customers, I mean, technology advantage.
1: I'll disagree in one way. Uh, sucking all the oxygen out of space has already been done because no one can it's hear Not in space. Scream. I just
3: meant the satellite, the extraterrestrial <laughs> data category. Yeah, space is pro- does very little air, and that's fair to say, which is probably uh, good for the, uh, the satellite.
1: We could go on for a while, we, uh, but I, we can't. Um, let me ask you, what have you learned, to wrap this up, what have you learned through this process now for specs in? obviously there have been some changes in the accounting rules. Um, yeah. but what, what have you figured out about this? Cause the number of SPACs has greatly declined over the course of the last year, especially after the, the SEC changing, uh, yeah. the warrant, uh, accounting rules. But
3: what have you learned? You know, nothing that would surprise someone like you who has been watching financial markets for for decades. So it's a flight to quality. You know, Goldman Sachs is our underwriter. My partner is, you know, you'll remember is Harry Yu, who's the CFO of Oracle, Accenture and EMC. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's been at this a couple decades longer than me. So we, we've seen a, 40 years of public markets uh, together and been on the board of 20 public companies that we've either run or been the CEO or CFO of. Um, and so, you know, we take a, a long-term view of looking for quality, align ourselves with our target companies, uh, so to speak, and really wanted to work with people who want to be public with us. Um, if they don't want to work with us, you know, we we really don't want to be involved in a sort of a commoditized sort of situation where people are kind of looking for cooler offer the the, the highest price in the short term. We're looking for right. people that want to be great public companies that are sustainable, that want to be set up to have a great first year and have the time energy and story to spend getting the right investors into the pipe so that they are there for you long term. You know, you can see a lot of strategic investors in the INQ deal. Planet also had Google as an investor, Mark Benioff. You know, BlackRock, Coke, these are all people that you can imagine have an interest in what in what Planet, you know, is doing and a very long-term interest. I mean, Google, you know, they can't run Google Earth without Planet, right? It's really important. Well, and you've <laughs> seen and
1: you've seen a lot of the pipes where the pipe investors in SPACs, where as soon as they can get out, they get out. And they're not long-term investors at all. And they're they're trying to get the pop from the SPAC and they're out. And you see mm-hmm. some of the the backers of some of the SPACs have done that. I mean, you're talking about Virgin Galactic. We saw that with Virgin Galactic where Chamath Palihapitiya and Richard Branson himself sold a lot of shares long before there's a business there.
3: Yeah, they they did, and I'm I'm you know it's probably not not my place to comment on any of that. It is it is what it is. The stock is still you know doing better than the ten dollars it was at, and I think there's a some promise there and a lot of hype. But um, look, Planet could be all of our companies you know could be profitable in the in the near term, so in the medium term. None of them are uh, you know in ten years if we raise more money it will be profitable, and so. Being really, you know, I'd say cautious about how you structure these deals, the companies, the price points, and making sure they're fully capitalized, super duper important. And then of course, lastly, Corey, you know, Harry and DMY, we, we treat every one of these from a diligence perspective and from an SEC perspective the same as a normal IPO. So we won't take on businesses that are not prepared to treat themselves from a controls perspective, legal perspective, Starbucks perspective, you know, exactly the same way. Uh, as you would with an S1 process, because we're an S4, but S4 is pretty close to S1. And I think the SEC is going to make sure it keeps getting closer in in the coming quarters and years.
1: Nicola DeBassi, CEO of DMY and uh, bringing us companies, uh, some interesting ones and uh, good look at that sector and the financial world aspects of that as well. We appreciate your time. Always my pleasure, Corey. Right up next to the Drill Down bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. I'm going to have a statistic about Planet for you right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era, a one-stop
0: equity platform where you can seamlessly connect to any earnings call and surface actionable insights automatically. Era's AI-powered tools allow you to work faster and smarter. That's Aira, A-I-E-R-A,
1: dot com. And how about checking out the Drill Down on your favorite smart speaker? Turn to that smart speaker and say, hey, smart speaker. Or, you know, my house would be, hey, Alexa. Or it could say, hey, Google, play the Drill Down podcast. And listen, you might enjoy it. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on.
0: Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrilldownPod, and connect with us directly at
1: our website, BizPod.net. All right, that drill down bite the one number that tells us a whole lot. When I was sending satellites over that alleged oil field a decade ago, as I mentioned, I get maybe four, two, four, usually about three reads a month, depending on the weather. So you want to know, and here's the drill down bite, how many revisits over a given area that Planet can offer every month? Would you believe they can do 300 a month, sorry, 10 a day? That's what you get when you have 10 times more satellites than anybody else. 462 satellites launched so far for Planet. Fascinating company.
0: That is really, really cool. Super cool. They're watching... (laughs) <laughs>
1: I'm looking up right now They're watching now. us right now There's a roof over here, right yeah. here In the ferry building Thank goodness well, there are <laughs> skylights I'm a little concerned All right, well, thank you For listening to The Drill Down I'm Corey Johnson Isaac Webster is our executive producer Ben Wilson, our editor extraordinaire The Drill Down is a production Of the Business Podcast Network